anyone who listens to this and if they do feel different and they do feel like they're the odd one out you'll always feel like that until you prove people wrong that you don't have to be the same so it's much harder to stick to them it's much harder to be yourself i have a pomeranian it's a girl's dog uh, but he's mine and i walk proudly with one of pink lead Good luck. Good luck. So there, guys. Yeah. Smell you later. See you later. Did he just say smell you later? Oh, I think so. I think he's gone delirious. He's in denial. Just explain your business plan to me. I'm looking to take uh, people between the age of 21 and 35 years old away for uh, a week uh, each summer to kind of re revitalize the, the youth tour operator. So, what experience have you had as a tour operator? Uh, none. I've never been a tour operator in my life. As you may know, our first two episodes launched last week. And if you follow us on the Spike Pod uh, across any social media, you may have seen we charted from it. I want to give a massive shout out to Ted and Temps for being such amazing guests. We thought we'd keep the momentum and get someone special on. This episode's guest rose to fame from the hit BBC One show, The Apprentice. Lewis Ellis is going to talk to us all things travel, The Apprentice, and even some funny stories from his youth. If you enjoy this episode, please hit subscribe, follow and leave us a review or reach out to us via the Spike pod across all social media. As a heads up, this episode does contain strong language. So if you are easily offended, then this episode may not be the one for you. There's a bit of background for the listeners. Can you just give a bit of an introduction on yourself and what you do? Yeah, my name's Lewis Ellis. You know, I always forget to say I was on The Apprentice in 2019. I currently run a marketing agency called Hustle. I have a travel company called Hidden. I've been quite busy at the moment. I've been doing all sorts of little things. I mean, I made clothing. I've also just been putting together like a little bit of a networking group for freaks like me who love business and don't quite fit in everywhere. I keep saying it's like Fight Club, probably with less rules. More orgies as well. I'm not quite sure how we're going to fit orgies in there. But I feel like it's an important part of the, what we're doing. I did sign up to the networking thing, actually, to be honest. I did it this morning. Now I'm finding more about it. I'm like, oh, God, should I be there? But we'll briefly touch on The Apprentice. You look a bit traumatised, Lou. <laughs> uh, do you know what, right? It wasn't good. It didn't go well at all. I definitely feel like going into the next one, like, now I just expect the worst. Once we were speaking, I was like, you know what? I'm going to re-watch the whole series. And I'm quite proud of myself of fitting it in in a whole weekend. Can you describe what it was like being on there? I absolutely love watching it, mate. I really do. I love when it starts, like, dun, dun, the music starts, you're like, oh, shit, the apprentice is on. It was really weird. Do you know what? The first day, I said, it was like watching TV, but being sat there and ultra high. Because obviously, the first thing we do is go to a boardroom and meet him, and you're Karen Claude, Lord Sugar, the lights are on them, and I'm just sat there like, what the fuck? It's just so weird. It was just like watching live TV. I was expecting this to be a performance, like sort of breaks out his song and dance. And, and the next thing you know, he's like, get out of my office. And I'm like, okay, cool. So yeah, it was very, very, it was surreal to me because I, I obviously watch on TV. I don't know if, imagine you've just watched it this weekend and the next minute you sat in the TV and you're actually engaging with someone you've just been seeing on TV. So it was really weird for me. Um, it was really fun as well. It was a great experience. After a while, you sort of forget that you're in it. It's almost like you've got an assault course to do every day. Like I keep saying it's like escape rooms. Um, like every day you've got a new challenge, something different that's popping up. So it's, yeah, it's quite exciting as well because you don't know what's going to happen. The Apprentice is kind of all about Lord Alan Sugar. What was it like working with him? The sad thing is, and the sad reality of The Apprentice is that you, you don't really get to spend any time with him. Obviously, one of the main reasons I went on that show now, he doesn't know this, but so I'd read his book when I was like, what? like 14, 15 years autobiography. And I read the story of this guy 
who came from no money, was told that he wasn't going to be anything, um, started doing things and just jumping into different areas. And like you try making stuff, photography, then he started buying stuff and selling stuff. And they do it at a time when it's not, not internet, your fingertips, you've got to really go out there and graph. And what really stuck with me was that his wife, uh, her dad told him he wasn't good enough for his daughter, told him that the whole life. So that, that story at a young age for me was very impressionable, right? So I read that book and then I've watched documentaries on him, obviously. And I read it again before I went on the show just to refresh my memory. I still can't remember exactly all the different things that he did. He did that, he did that many different things. It was like the one that sticks me is like, he's got a camera and he just went around taking pictures of the neighbors, selling them photographs, like family portraits and stuff like that. Just started doing things. He used to go to a factory and get off cuts of clothing and sell that on. That to me, it's like, it's almost like looking up at, uh, you're looking at someone you're thinking, shit, he's doing where, like, he's come from where I've come from. He's done it, I can do it. But then the sad fact is you don't really get to have that conversation, you know what I mean? All he sees is a guy who's six foot two and covered in tattoos, running around and shouting at people. He doesn't know my story, really. He's never going to understand that. I don't think he ever, I don't think even now he, he knows. And then he said, I just think that's a bit sad. I wish I'd got a chance to sort of talk about the sort of how impressionable he was on me. I'm just one of millions of people that probably feel that way. Same with like Duncan Bannertine's story. And there's other guys that they don't, this is what I'm trying to say about why you need to make it. Because these guys I'm talking about are people that weren't supposed to make it. And I look up to them now. So it's important that if you are different, you like I just said that you have to make it because there's a next generation of someone that's going to be looking up to you. And now more than ever, it's documented. Now more than ever, everything you do is shared, visible, shared online. It's not just my, me writing a book about it when I'm older and then telling you what happened. You can actually see it happening. In my opinion, it's now more important than ever because like guys like that, they're the sort of stories that kept me going. And they're not just stories, they're real journeys. So I've, I've always been the sort of person that reads those things and listens to those books. And, but that's why I said it's important. I have to make it because I don't want that all to be bullshit. It can't be, but I have to prove it to myself that it's not. I have to see it. I have to get there and be like, fuck, it was right. You could do it. Has it changed my opinion of him? Not really, no. I get that The Apprentice was an insanely show, so it's probably not even the best setting to really meet someone because you're not really going to talk about business unless you're working with him. I feel like it's a shame that I never got to that point where I could. But yeah, even after the show, I've, I've still not actually met him, just in person. My favourite challenge was the South Africa trip. So the first one straight away. And I absolutely loved the boardroom outburst. Absolutely loved it. Because it just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can tell on that part but it's because everyone just seemed like they were putting this act on like, there was a few of them that were a few of them weren't you can tell there's a few people that seemed like especially at the start they were like right we need to keep it really clean keep it really sort of to the point whereas if you, you just were yourself and I think that was just absolutely amazing I mean were you quite scared as well that that was going to be your last challenge after being on sort of the first failing team or losing team they said that you're supposed to avoid being a project manager on the first task in fact I made that part of my game plan to avoid it as long as possible and then first one, I was like, I'll do it. So I, you know what, though? Naturally in life, I've always been like that. I remember even in the interviews for that, they were like, who wants to put themselves forward? But I was like, I'll do it. And I always say it before anyone gets to the end of the sentence. It's like, just stick your dick in a blender. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. You know? But then I'll do it. So I don't know. I've always been the sort of guy that puts myself forward and throws myself into things. And in that situation, I threw myself in and I knew that you're more than likely going to get fired if you lose that task. I knew we'd lost the task. I kind of went in there expecting to, to get sacked, to be honest. But what I didn't expect was that two little cretins would start berating me in front of what was my childhood idol. Guys, one at a time. The reason I brought you back is because I said, it's a sales responsibility. I don't care if you think you sold more than anyone. I sold four tickets, I sold in the shop, but I'm still sat here because if, even if I wasn't, I want to be brought back in. Yeah. It's a sales team's responsibility. I don't-
sort of trying to shout me down. Now, I'm not the sort of person you could really shout down. I usually go off like a rocket if someone tries that. I've always been the sort of person that's very, very confrontational and, and doesn't really take shit. And it gets me in a lot of trouble. But the one thing is, is for sure is that I've just always been myself. And I never tried to be anyone else. And I have obviously over, over the years moderated. I mean, I didn't punch anyone. So it's already an improvement from when I was in school. Yeah, I was in a situation with two guys that I knew were just chatting shit, and I just couldn't. I just don't stand for that crap in life. I would shout the same person. You know, I do it. I, I've done. I've told many, many a person to fuck off in a boardroom, and not. Like, it's not a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is a clever thing to do, but it's just me. It's my personality, and I can't help it. Unfortunately, it's just who I am. I'm not a small, scared guy. I'm never going to sit there and have two guys shout at me. I'm always going to go. <laughs> so what they did was they just sort of poke, 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 and then wondered what happened when they got the wrath. And in fact, they both sort of shit their pants a little bit and went quiet. They, they weren't in the right. And, and I remember it very clearly because it really wound me up because actually they were just bullshitting as well. There's, there's another thing I can't stand in life. If you're bullshitting, I'll just call you out. I don't care. I don't care how embarrassing it is for anyone, how much it makes me, it makes me look unprofessional. I would just say, you know, like, what's it called? Uh, fucking Carl Pilkington. Bullshit. I just call it out like, bullshit man. <laughs> My favourite thing that you've done is the pranks. And there's one in particular that cracks me up. And I was just showing to my teammate and we we're absolutely howling about it. And it was the boat ride to Syria. Yeah. That, how did that come about? Because I was absolutely howling earlier about it. Yeah, someone asked me about it. I tried to explain it. And I actually tried to record a video explaining it. And I couldn't even really do that, to be honest. Because it's just a weird story. For many years, I've been the sort of person, you know, before The Apprentice, before anyone else even knew I was up to, before they knew I was working, I was always known for just doing different things. You know, like I was the first person to swim in a trapper centre swimming pool. So I'm here with Sam, Sean, and Joe. Hiya. We're trying to make a plan of how we're going to get in that swimming pool in the Titanic. That's what I mean, like, don't stop the water. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, widely reported across the world news in Australia, in Hawaii, even in Hawaii, that these British boys had gone to Syria by accident and about by. And it was because, I don't know, I always just like to have fun and wind people up. And it's not my fault if you're gullible enough to fall for that. So what actually started as a harmless prank with our friends that we, we were like, hey, we've not been out of the house today. With me and a couple of mates sat there like, why don't we pretend we got on a boat party last night and see if people believe us? And it sort of started there. And next thing you know, we started on Snapchat. Next thing you know, someone shared it on their Facebook and then the Lad Bible picked it up. And then we were just like, oh, let's see if we can get in the Lad Bible because that's quite funny, isn't it? They knew we were taking the piss anyway, but they weren't obviously 100%. We like, show pictures or it didn't happen. So we just went and took some fake pictures. And that was it. And then I went to sleep that night and I woke up the next morning and I was on BBC News because uh, a lot of journalists are so desperate to portray people to be assholes. They couldn't resist the click porn of, uh, drunken British guys go to a war-torn uh, war zone, picked up by Russian military whilst trying to go dolphin watching. It was just too much. They must have just gone to their desks and gone, we need this out now. But obviously when legitimate news sources are legitimate, when a lot of newspapers that are supposed to be legitimate start sharing it, then it becomes fact. And by that point, it was wildfire. There's no, I couldn't even hold it off. Like My mum rang me and went mad. She was like, you're on TV right now. Apparently, you're in Syria. Then there was a military guy that came down from the base because obviously the base in Cyprus and they came to try and find us. And then they thought it was hilarious because we were just sat in the, around the pool just like, what's happening? And they're like, you really need to tell someone that you're not in Syria. 
we sort of wound up a few of the papers as well. The Australian ones rang us and we just thought, let's fuck with them. So we just told a random story. And I think I was really drunk at the time when I told the story. I was on a bar crawl and it made a story about being dolphin watching and then like, and it was just a bit of fun. And then, yeah. But the problem was, I think a lot of the papers got butt hurt about it because obviously we made, a, we made them look like tits. And they were reporting it as fact. And the next thing you know, the ones that didn't report it were taking the mick out, the ones that did report it. Then it was a whole different story about fake news and clickbait. And we were just sort of like, ah, we just sort of thought, screw you sort of thing. You always do negative stories about resorts where we work anyway. So yeah, uh, they then tried to turn into a story about us trying to take the piss out of um, Syria, a war-torn country. And it was like, no, 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 you're getting this wrong. We were taking the piss out of the knobhead journalists that are so excitable and that will spread bullshit any opportunity they're the ones who take the piss out it was all just a, what started as a small joke between friends escalating next, next thing you know it was like yeah all around the world when you still google it, it comes obviously the guardian sun like every single newspaper yeah it's a weird story back then obviously no one knew that i was working in business as well like i was actually at that point i just went away for the summer you know like when people go on a murderous rampage and they write a memo before they do that i did the sort of the same thing what's it called a manifesto I said, I didn't kill anyone. I just had a breakdown. I was just, I was so sad of like being told how to be and how to act in life. And I was feeling miserable and really, I'd been, I'd worked my way through my degrees. I'd gone into the job like I was supposed to do to get a start business. And I just thought I felt lost. Uh, so I quit my job. It was a bank holiday. Monday went out. So yeah, I quit on the Friday. I had a flight that night. Went on, packed a suitcase. Went in the office, home, got a suitcase, went straight to the airport, jumped some planes in Cyprus the next morning. On Tuesday, the boss rang me and was like, he went back. I was like, not going to make it in today. But at that point, I remember I wrote uh, like a manifesto on my Instagram. And it was all about how I wasn't going to be like everyone else anymore. That was it. I was done. I was done feeling like a fucking shoot. There's nothing worse than walking to the city center in the morning and watching thousands and thousands of other people looking miserable and sad. And I just knew that I wasn't going to be the path. In fact, if you want to see it, scroll back. It's one of the very first posts on my Instagram since 2016. And I think that was kind of what spurred this whole, that, that whole story was because I just decided that no matter what it was, no matter how funny it was or interesting or weird, I was just going to get involved in any opportunity I could possibly get my hands on. I was going to always have fun. I was never going to grow up. And I was always going to have a laugh and enjoy myself in life because it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're not having fun and you're not enjoying yourself, it's not worth it. And I'd worked my ass off to get to that career point and, uh, and I just sat off for that summer. And I needed, I needed a reset. So that was what I was doing and that's where that weird story came from. But because I was, I was cause havoc. I, I mean, I went there with the mindset of, fuck everyone, I'm just, I need a break. And it was, I'm not going to be like how they tell me. I'm not going to be told to grow up anymore. I'm not going to give up. Being told to grow up is essentially giving up. And I said, I don't want to give up. I'm, I'm going to chase my goals. I'm going to chase my dreams, etc. And it sounds really cheesy, but when you post something like that publicly, now obviously this is years ago, uh, a lot of people turn around and go, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, chatting shit. You're going to be like everyone else. And then fast forward, what we have five years since then, I've stuck to that every day. It's the same reason why I can joke around and say the word penis on the podcast and everyone goes, nah, it's just Lewis. And it's because I, I'm never going to be like anyone else. So they just I kind of stop trying to make me like that. If you don't like me, you won't talk to me, you won't follow me. That's fine. I'm not meant to be for everyone. Yeah, it's a very hard sort of position to take though because if you fail and uh, what you're doing and you, and you give up, that's when everyone will go, ha, told you so. So you can never fail. You can never give up. And it's a, it's a very good motivator. Because that's the thing I always look. So I've got quite a few friends that went out and sort of repped in different places. And people skills wise, they came back just as the best people to speak to on nights out or even just in business, like sales wise. Their skills were considerably better than everyone else. And do you think by being a rep, going out there, doing all that, that has made you who you are today with those kind of skills? 
Yeah, no, a thousand percent. Look, when I went away, I was, I mean, obviously we were talking about when I went away when I was 35, so I shot away, but I actually worked abroad at 18 years old. At 18, I didn't fit in. I was getting kicked out of colleges. I kicked out of three colleges. I wasn't going to go to uni. I was getting told I was stupid. Actually, I think I was just fucking ADHD. Honestly, I honestly, I had just been undiagnosed for years and just been made to believe I was bad because I was smart. I was intelligent, but I was just f- focusing. Uh, my focus would go into class, see how many people I could distract and wind up in that session. And the weird shit I'd do, like, you know, walk in, set a smoke grenade off, walk out, that sort of stuff. Like, I was a creative kid. I was a creative, annoying little shit. Quick story again. I was just thinking the other day, I got arrested for stealing a dumper truck when I was 15 years old because I found the key on the floor near a building site, went and tried it, found it works, the dumper truck, went home, went on the internet, looked, downloaded this manual on this dumper truck, learned how to drive it by watching it, got loads of people in my school, gave them walkie-talkies and sat them on different street corners and I drew a map. I was going to take the dumper truck from the building site to the quarry where we could play with it freely. That's a fucking clever kid. Now, when I got arrested and my mum came to kick my head in at 15 years old, no one thought that was quite smart. They all just thought he's being bad. I was putting all my energy the wrong way. So anyway, 18 years old, I realized I didn't fit in. And uh, that's when I shot abroad. And actually, it caused me to grow up a lot. I had to take responsibility for a lot of different things, a lot of people. I had to go from being the part, life of the party to you know dealing with a serious assault or a robbery or whatever. So it's actually a very good way to grow up. And obviously, I was experiencing the cultures, you know, like being in different countries and being around people from all around the world. I realized that my little small town mentality uh, didn't quite work. So I struggled with that for a while until, until I sort of learned to fit in, learned that what the way I did things wasn't quite right. So that was a good, great period in my life and it made me a much more rounded person. So yeah, reckon a thousand percent is the best way. I went from being a quite reserved and extroverted introvert. So I wouldn't like put myself out there in front of people, but I'd be really loud in my group of friends. But now it's changed. You know, now I'm very open to meeting new people and because a lot of time I was on my own with my own backpack and I had to make friends. So yeah, it's a great way to learn. And that also made some great memories for you as well. I remember looking at your TikTok and I saw the video where you gave the girl the absinthe, the shot of absinthe after that. She was laughing or something and she ends up being sick in her hand and it turns back to you and you're cracking up laughing. It must, looking back at it, it's remembering that stuff and even just hearing you speak about it, you can see where the passion comes from for traveling. Yeah, that in. game was fucking clever. It was called Absinthe Corner and it was really simple. We get a shot of absinthe and you've got to try and give it to someone and you say it sours and then you drink it and you see what they film the reaction. And then obviously the word got round and one of the lads, just before that video, right? One of the lads drank it and he tried to keep a straight face. Like, he's like, not bothered. But I, obviously at that point, right? I know it's burning all down here. Yeah, it really does. So I turned the camera off, put it back on again. And literally a second later, he's got tears coming down his face. And he's like, and then that's when that girl walked over and was like, where's my shot? Why are you giving shots out? And I'm like, okay, well, give her a shot. And she necked it. And then within a second, she'd thrown up. And then a mate snatched it off her and drank it. And then she threw up one in her head. It was amazing. That was the best day ever. I've got the full video on YouTube. It's like a really old one, but it's amazing. You want to know who the next guest is on the spike? Like it's a completely different existence, you know. Like, I, 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 I perform Monday mornings to Saturdays, now on Fridays, now. Hit subscribe or follow and you'll find out first. Is that the inspiration for Hidden Travel? Is that where that's kind of all come from and why you've wanted to be serious with that? I obviously spent a long time working for these corporates, yeah. And I worked for 1830 for a while and then escapades and I was a, a tourist rep. So that when you saw the videos, that's me looking after workers. So pre prior to that, I was a tourist rep. That was how mainly what most people do. Uh, and I would take them on bar crawls, booze cruises, beach parties. Actually, I, I sort of moved away from tourist repping after a while because what I was watching was the guys come on holiday and every single day, 
they do the same thing day in, day out. And they all thought they had a unique experience. They'd all come and do the same shit, boat point, the same shit, cruise cruise, the same shit, this, that, and this. And it was like a conveyor belt of guests. They eat the same shit, British food, hang on the same shit, British people, and have the same shit in the same British toilet. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to get across is that there was nothing about it that was wherever you were. So nothing about Hispanics, nothing about Cypriot, nothing about Italian. It was bollocks. And the resorts themselves are, you know, they are by design made for the tourists. And therefore, you know, there's nothing. I went on holiday to Benidorm with my parents. That was just like going to Blackpool, but it was warmer. I just thought, how has it got to this point? It became very clear to me. It was uninspired. And this whole sort of way of working around providing the cheapest holidays at the cheapest price means that what happens is, okay, so the whole journey for a customer is they arrive at the airport. There's not a coach. There's not as many coaches as there should be because they're trying to save money on coaches. So you have to wait longer. And there's always one knobhead that's lost their bag. So you're the first one on the coach. When you arrive there, you've probably got angry Stelios or whatever the fuck it's called, throwing suitcases around. He's miserable because he's been working long. He's on a delayed flight. He's got some out scale, but then he's not getting paid enough because of reduced costs. Less coaches, coach drivers get paid less. Then you're waiting around and you've obviously got the, the family that takes forever to come through and you finally find them. But you know, you should go to find them because there's less people looking after everyone. So therefore, it takes more time to find them and help them. Then when you get to resort, you find out you're there and you get to drive around everyone else's hotels first because you're always the last one that's right out in the country because they, again, have gone for cheaper accommodation further away because they're trying to save costs. My point being here is you can go through this with everything. You go down to the breakfast buffet in the morning and the baked beans taste like ass because they've saved money on the food and it's the same crappy eggs because they're trying to provide British cheap food on the buffet. Everything about this reduced cost model doesn't work for me. And I get people want to save money on holidays. They want cheap holidays. That's fine. Go on. Them. We're not looking for those holidays. I'm not interested in that. So there's no way in hell could I, I, I sit at home and I go, I can't wait to go on a two week holiday. Like you just don't think like that. You just go, all right, we're going to websites. It's cheap. I want people to say, I fucking really want to go on a hidden hole. I really want to see all those guys. I really want to get involved in that. And actually to create an experience like that, it's very difficult. You have to break down every single part of it and just make it better. The overall feeling when someone comes back from that vacation is they go, wow, that was amazing. Because, you know, you pay for what it costs. And I would rather pay that little bit more for the better experience and the best hotels and the best food and the best location with the best events than go on one boat that has a hole in it on a boat party versus the yacht party, you know, the catamaran that was 50 quid more, but the, the holiday supplier didn't want to work with it because it was too expensive on their profit margin. So profit isn't a focus for us. I don't give a shit we don't make any money as long as we can build something. That's what I'm trying to do. And a lot of businesses don't look at the world like that. They look at it from how much money can they make, what's their margin they can make. And uh, it's a shame. The other end of the spectrum is the only things that you can think of that are like that are very fucking expensive. Like they are really expensive. Like, the luxury sort of thing. But I'm not interested in luxury either. Like I'm targeting 25 to 35 year old young professionals. Like we're not fucking targeting semi-professional football players. We're targeting people who have a bit more money and would be willing to spend it, but aren't absolutely wadded. Do you know what I mean? And they want to have the best experience. And we're taking younger people as well. These premium brands don't generally target younger people because they don't think you have money. But actually more people than ever now are young entrepreneurs, are making money on YouTube, making money on TikTok, making money on Instagram, whatever it is. There's a lot of new money around. And actually, you know, just Bitcoin and, and trading stocks, like the Gen, Gen Z trade stocks, you know, that, right? Yeah, there's just this massive opportunity gap in the market that I can't ignore anymore. And it's been pissing me off for so long that I have to do something about it. It's just a shame that your ban hit when it did because it just put a stop to everything that I wanted to do. Um, but actually, on the flip side of that, it's been very, very good because, not for businesses, it's wiped out a lot of competition for us. 
And it's caused a lot of brands and businesses to rethink their model and, and get on the defensive. And whereas we're not concerned to them right now, whereas if we came into a fresh market that was rosy, we might just be wiped out very quickly by someone going, oh, we don't like them. Let's get rid of them. We'll just copy what they're doing. So yeah, it's, it's a good opportunity, but it's, yeah, it's definitely it. The, the travel market is just fucking boring at the moment. So I've been on their website, I've looked through, and the part that I really like is the young professionals part, because I went on a holiday, I think it was last year, when you were allowed to for that sort of brief period, and I went with two of my clients, and we then generated, and we got back so much business for each other, made such great introductions, and taking actually groups of entrepreneurs, young professionals, whatever you want to call it in that sense, to these holiday destinations, the relationships they're going to build are going to be to a different level, the memories they're going to create, and they're actually going to come back and probably see a quite a lot of positives come back from it in a business sense as well as they've just had a really good holiday out of it well, it opens us up to different avenues right so you know we can do just the typical vacations and luxurious countries and the people that are there are young professionals that's great they'll meet naturally we can also do like business you know escapes for like a week and uh, i don't know say portugal we'll go in villas and we just work on our businesses for a week or or we could do like yoga escapes and yoga retreats or whatever it is we could do retreats i know for a fact i want to book a yoga retreat i have to probably go and find someone who provides that but my own flights and travel there or go with a brand new company. I can't think of one that would do it. If Travel announced they were going to start doing business retreats for young professionals, well, you'd know they'd take you, right? But you'd be in a hotel with all their other stupid guests with kids running around throwing green burgers from the free bar at each other and like someone taking shit in the pool and all the, all the annoying stuff. I mean, that might just be Blackpool where I go on holiday. But the point is, you can't do everything. And I think niching down on one very particular segment for us is, is what I see us doing. And like I said, business isn't just the only focus. Like, it will be younger professionals. And it's the best way to explain it because they'll just separate different demographics. And there'll be people that just like to go and do amazing holidays, people that want to meet cool people, people that want to have X, Y, and Z. And we'll branch those out as we grow the business. But it'll never be for everyone. I don't want it to be for everyone either. In fact, I'm tailoring it for people that are young now that will in a few years be old enough to travel and be looking for this sort of thing. And then obviously you have the travel side, but then you also have hustle marketing, which is the hoodies as well, the SEO, web design. I checked a few of the websites out, the Skip Hire one and Fluffy Pillow Company, isn't it? It's quite refreshing actually as well, because you look at a lot of websites now and I'm the first one to admit, my website's shocking. Like it's terrible. We've not changed it or what? Well, I think we changed it once since we launched. And I think people don't see that side. They always hear about you making pranks and sort of being this person that's really authentic and sort of a bit outspoken sometimes and actually forget that that marketing side of you is actually your core thing, except from travel. They're actually really good at. Well, yeah, I mean, I lost my job uh, in the coronavirus pandemic and I was a director of an agency in Manchester and I had no choice. I wasn't getting furlough. I wasn't, well, my previous employers always fuck off when I asked for furlough. I wasn't going to get any support at all. There was nothing. I couldn't even get a bounce back loan to use to start, but like, it was just me and whatever savings I had. And there was no one hiring. So my options were start a business and survive or just be a victim and just sit there and moan and bitch until, it was, until I could get a job. But I was never going to sit there and do nothing. So started hustle marketing. It already been a freelance gig on the side for a few years before the apprentice and stuff. I'd done it for a few years. Let's start on the side. But yeah, I went full time in summer and we've grown it since then. And like I said, I'm starting my client, one of my client's offices right now. It was surprising to me is that before I started it, I was selling to companies a lot of the time and it was hard. It was tough. And, you know, getting into them was difficult. Yet now I get two or three inquiries a week. We're signing up a new client probably every other week. Um, and it's just me and my little team of people, my little band of pirates. It's all inbound. I'm not doing any marketing for myself apart from personal branding and sharing the story. And I get messages every other day saying, you know, following the journey, following the story. And I didn't realize I had a story until I realized that actually I have. I lost my job on camera on a Zoom call just like this. The phone rang, I answered it, it went mute. 
And I lost my job there. And then right as we were talking about people losing their jobs and I said, I don't know if I'm going to have a job next month. And there you go. I was like, fuck, well, there we go. So then my decision at that point was, I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm going to move forward pandemic or not. And we've grown a business in that, in the pandemic. It's unbelievable. And what I'm actually doing, I'm fucking, I'm growing a movement. I'm not starting a marketing agency. Yeah, I am. But the movement is disruptive. The movement is refusing to do things the way they've always been done. I don't know any of the marketing agencies in the UK that can sell clothing and people would wear them. Yeah. Well, I saw that all these hoodies and stuff, which is brilliant to me because it means that people are believing in that movement, the hustle society. That is a movement. It's me saying, let's support each other and let's all push each other to succeed. The underlying message behind it all is, okay, I do marketing, right? But I don't care if they buy from me or not or use me for their services. My passion is in growing and supporting businesses. If they want to work with me, that's great. But everything we do has been based on that manifesto I wrote when I was in 2016, which said, I'm not going to be like everyone else. Even the smallest, simplest things, like if you look at my LinkedIn and I post a before and after video on the website, you'll press play. And if you have the sound on, it'll have creepy dollhouse music playing in the background and just weird shit because I don't want anything I do to be the same as anyone else. And as a result of that, I think people are getting behind that movement and it's all about disruption. It's all about refusing to conform. I did a podcast in the summer called Fuck the Norm, which was basically saying, you know, again, re reaffirming to myself that I'm not going to follow the crowd. And you know, I only stopped doing podcasts because I noticed that everyone else was doing podcasts. So again, because I'm a weirdo, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. I moved away, but it was a great thing. It was working for me, but I just, me and my core values, I don't do things the same way as everyone else. So yeah, I, I guess in a way, I don't know if it's going to work or not. I don't know if this is a fucking good idea or a terrible idea, but I found that people are starting to move away from terrible to it's okay idea. At first it was, what the hell is he doing? That's ridiculous. Now I get messages sort of saying, oh, at first I wasn't sure about what you were doing, but now I get it. And I don't know if I'm just making all this stuff in my head. Like in my mind, I want to create this movement, this ethos. Like I said, I want to create the whole society, like fight club without rules. But it's a real thing. Like, I really want to empower people. I really want to bring people together around common shared goals. Obviously the message will always be, I do marketing, but everything else I talk about, I mean, I rarely talk about marketing, if that makes sense. I'll talk about some cool shit I've seen over here or whatever. The clothing is made for entrepreneurs and freelancers. I made this hoodie as thick as possible. I had to design it from scratch because I wanted a hoodie that people could, when they're sat at home on the couch, working on a laptop, grafting away on their own business and their own goals, they've got something they could just wear and be cozy in the house because I was wearing my mate's hoodie from the gym every day when I was working. So everything I do, everything I say, everything I'm, I'm about right now is business. I'm all in. Like, there's no going back. It wasn't my decision to start full-time. I was hoping to start hidden travel, but unfortunately, I had to pivot a little bit to start the marketing agency, but here we are. We're down the road now. We're nine months in since the day I started. Uh, we turned over 20 grand last month, in a, in a month, in one month. We, we've, that was more or less the whole fucking, so we like only done like just under 60 grand turnover and 20 of that was last month. We're on track to do hundred grand the first year. I don't know where it's going, but it's, it's a powerhouse and it's bigger than me. It's a movement. Even the word hustle, it has a meaning. You know, Hakuna Matata, like they made it mean something. So hustle to me is an ethos. It's a, it's a way of working. It means screw the ordinary. I think that's what it says on my website as well. I wrote that one day when I was drunk. The whole point of this show is to identify what your spike is, but for our listeners to be able to hear that and hopefully be able to relate to it and see in successful people's lives what drives them, basically. So the spike is what you possess that's unique to yourself that helps you stand out in a crowded marketplace. So what do you think your spike is? On the level, right? I've never met anyone like me. I haven't, which in a way sometimes scares me a little bit because why? 
I get I get people that are like motivated, but I've never met anyone who's just unapologetic to themselves. And and the closest person I can think of is the person I saw Gary V when I first saw him. Just he'd speak openly, he'd speak with an accent, he'd speak just talking like he's talking to his friends. He'd just talk from the heart. If he swore, he swore. I don't try and stop myself doing anything. I don't want to change that raw personality and passion. I don't ever want to feel the way that I felt before. I never want to feel that sort of sadness and emptiness. And I don't, people will probably understand what I mean by that is when you get told to be a certain way and act a certain way, it's like, no, I just rebelled. But I rebelled so hard that I started going off the rails. I honestly believe that uh, my difference is just, I will always just be myself and I'll be raw. And the story is real as well. I'm not bullshitting anyone. I'm not trying to change anything. I've come from no money. I'm going to achieve my goals and I'm grafting away. So I put in the work. I've spent years doing this as well. I'm not just a dreamer that sits there and goes, yeah, I want to do this. It's like, no, I've been putting this graph since 21 years old and I quit being a rep because I knew that I was never ever going to be happy being a rep for the rest of my life. And I went back to university even though I had no qualifications and I had to work to get into business. I went in a business degree the first day. They said, you don't have to. They were, why did you come to do this course? And I said, I want to start a business one day. And they said, well, you don't need to do a business degree. And I said, I don't give a shit. I don't want to be the dumbest guy in the room. And that was 21. That was what? That was 10 years ago. It's 10 years in the making since the moment I first said I'm going to start a business. This is a long haul. I've always stayed true to myself and I've never ever changed my direction I've continued to persevere through good through bad through being told that it's wrong through being told I'm an idiot through xyz and only now am I starting to see positives coming out of that but it's taken 10 years to get to that point a lot of people would have given up before then a lot of people would have questioned what they were doing but I refuse to change And it's something that you kept saying about you'll always be the hardest working in the room. And you can actually see that from even speaking to you, you can just kind of listen into the stories that you will always graft. And it just seems like that is that's what I thought potentially the spike was going to be in that sense. Everyone first want to outwork someone. You think you said in your apprentice about outworking and talented or something like that. What did I say? Uh, I might not be the smartest guy in the room, but I'll outwork you. Nine times out of 10, hard work beats talent. And so you meet a talented, hardworking guy, then it's screwed. And what I meant by that, I mean, at that point, that was two years ago. And when I applied to apprentice, I was actually working for two years prior to that. I would work nine in the morning till five, and obviously nine till five. Then I'd go to the gym till seven. I'd go home, eat some food, and then eight and one in the morning, I'd work on my own business. I did that for two years. Saturdays and Sundays, I'd stay in the house and work. And last, my last relationship all ended because they wanted to do something on a Saturday. And I said, I can't. I've got, I've got to sacrifice fun stuff right now for my future. And that's a really hard decision to make because a lot of people will go, oh, no worries, babe. I'll, we'll go and do something. And I, w- I was really happy in these relationships. And I remember ending them every time I ended them. It was the same thing. It was, I know that if we stay together, your life's going to be miserable with me because I've got to focus on the bigger picture. I know where I want to go and I have to try everything I can to get there. To have that conversation with someone is really difficult because I was happy. I've been making sacrifices for as long as I can remember now. And I've, you go back on my YouTube, there's a video from 2017 where I'm sat there in front of the camera going, I will fucking do this. I'm not going to stop at anything. It's okay to say, I'll work harder than anyone. And it's, it's okay to talk about it now, right? But at the time, no one knew. You know, I was tired in work every single day and I was like for two years. Even when I did my master's degree, I used to have to pay it as, as you go. And I would study every day and I'd work in nightclubs at night and all I could afford was my tuition, petrol to and from university and my insurance in the car. So I'd work for a full year with no real spend to do anything apart from work and study. And I was willing to do that. And I was tired. And I remember one day they put, they put around the class, they said, oh, who's got a job? And the master's group and who's actually working outside it sounds like me and everyone else in the room like one of the person with the hand up and the rest of us really mom and dad's paying for them it's a different level of work when you know you're out when you know you've got to outwork everyone to get to the same result that graft 
and now mindset has always been there for me. So um, yeah, I know I can outwork people. It's not like a case of I think I can or I think I do. It's I know I do, um, and I will continue to do that. What advice would you give someone that wants to have a similar career to you, that wants to get into marketing, but is a bit scared because they don't sort of fit inside the typical box? Oh, look, I wanted to get into marketing. I studied, I studied a degree, and then I, I saw marketing was a topic. I always thought I was going to be a business consultant. That's what I thought the job would be. I'd go in and fix businesses. Um, and marketing was stood out to me as a way of actually doing that. You could still help them grow, but you could go in and fix the marketing. And so that's when I doubled down on that. But I'd only, had, I'd only been studying it. So actually, the first thing I did when I realized that's what I wanted to do was try to find a way to get involved in marketing. So I was working in a nightclub and I actually offered to work with the marketing team, just things like creating posters, doing social media posts, whatever, whatever experience I can get. Then I actually, to get into my first job in marketing, I remember I was earning 21 grand while studying, which isn't much, but I was earning 21 grand while studying. And then the first marketing job that I interviewed for ages to get a marketing job, and I couldn't get one, even with the degree in business, the master's degree, I couldn't get a job. And then I saw one over 16,000 a year, basically a salary from someone who's not got any experience and no knowledge. And I took that, I took like a five grand pay cut. I couldn't even afford to survive on 21 grand, so I long 16, but there you go. So I did, I was, I used to not be able to afford to eat at lunch. I used to go into the office, right? And I'd work and I'd go at lunchtime, I'd go for a walk around Manchester because I had no money. I remember trying to pay the car park attendant in pennies just to pay a park outside of Manchester. And he laughing at me, called me a scruff because I had no money. That sort of stuff. They're the sacrifices you've got to make. So if you want to get into marketing, you'll fucking find a way to do it. For me, it was a really, I had to just be poor. I had no choice. I had to work for this woman who was an absolute dickhead. I mean, the worst. At that time, I had no money to eat, barely afford to park outside of Manchester. I was walking in 30 minutes every single day and I go on walks at lunch and I come back into a woman who treated me like shit because I went to university and studied it and she'd never gone to university, so she thought it was like a threat. And yeah, I did that. I put myself through it for as long as possible until I got the experience to move out of there. So if you want to get into marketing, you'll find a way to do it. What's the best bit of advice someone has given you? Best bit of advice a guy gave me was when I was 21, sorry, 22. I was studying my business degree and again, I've been saying that I want to start a business and everyone was saying I was a bit of an idiot. Like, what do I know about business? Rah, rah, rah. Um, you might be studying it, but you don't need to study it. You won't. You don't, rah, rah. All the crap that you don't want to hear. And I was feeling really sad because I knew that. I can't, right? I can't explain to anyone why for so long all I've wanted to do is start a business. I can't. I have no idea where it came from. But when I got told by a millionaire, I reached out to him. I emailed him. So I'm on TV. It's called Peter Sage. And no one had ever come back to me on an email and I continued to send them all the time. And eventually he came back to me and did a voice note. And the voice note, he was in India at the time and he was in a car and he just went, I've read your email, got passed over to me. I had to come back with a voice note just to tell you that I've been there sort of thing and that you can do it and don't let anyone ever tell you that you can't. And, if, and the advice that he gave me, the, the one phrase that I use a lot, he says, uh, once your heart and mind are aligned, the universe conspires in your favor and that's one thing I've noticed. Once I just said, fuck everyone, I'm all in. There is no going back. There is no backup plan. Once I said that and I was in, things just start happening. People just start showing up in your life. You bump into the right people. You come across, it seems like pure chance, pure luck. You just happen to be at the bar next to this guy who happens to be this person. Those things happen. Law of attraction, positive energy and stuff like that. I believe that you make things happen, but you throw yourself in and you're all in and there is no going back. And that's what my experience has been today. I will get to where I want to go. And that could, and not, not because I give a shit about the money, because I want to be able to go back and tell people you, it was possible. It was possible. It's not bollocks. 
the books weren't lying. Those key speakers weren't lying. It's a thing. You can really do it. And I need to get to that point because I need to share that message. Because I need to show that you can come from fuck all and you can have a passion and a dream. It's okay to not know all the answers and you will get where you're going as long as you stick at it. Because if my way of working and if being yourself and the little manifesto and things that I wrote along the way, if I've done all that and it doesn't work, well, then the story is very different. It's never be like that guy. You need to be, you need to be a fucking boring stuff. You need to focus on X, Y, Z. You need to do this. And I don't want that to be the story. It can't be the story. I've had people literally laugh at me. I've had people call me names. I, like, even for me, a young kid, like, all the way growing up, even when you get into, like, adulthood, like, I've been told I'm never going to get this. I'm not the guy that's supposed to do it. That's why it's more important than anyone, than ever. If you're one of those people, then you have to make it. You have to give it everything because your message, when you get where you're going, at that point, it's validated and you can then go back and help other people. It's important for everyone else, anyone that listens to this, that feels different and might be the sort of person that's like me you need to make it because you need to tell that story i think we can all agree that was a really powerful conversation from hearing insights about the apprentice to lewis's relationship with lord alan sugar to even back when he was 15 getting arrested for stealing a dumper truck if you do want more episodes with more guests leave us a review hit subscribe hit follow and look forward to hearing your feedback Thank you.